Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The power of real conversations. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean by a real conversation? Like, is there a real conversation and a fake conversation? No, but there's a real conversation that is authentic, where you get to talk about things that really matter. And then there's all the superficial conversations about the weather and how your kids are doing, assuming that you're not really talking about how your kids are doing and the challenges of your kids. When we get to have those real conversations, those authentic conversations where we suddenly have an opportunity to go deep and to reveal parts of ourselves that really matter. And when we get to know somebody else at that level, it creates an immediate bond. And I had that experience with our guest for today. Her name is Celia Daniels. And I am just so thrilled that she's now one of my friends. And I know that she's one of my friends, even though we've only really had one conversation, but it was that real conversation. And so I want to tell you a little bit about Celia. She has over 20 years of demonstrated success in managing, growing, and spearheading initiatives for Fortune 100 companies in technology, media, healthcare, and life sciences. She's been consistently recognized for customer satisfaction and delivering innovative product projects, leading and overseeing multiple different projects and global teams, both on-site and offshore. So like she's hot shit, right? Okay, but so here's the other thing that's really important for you to know about Celia. She is also an Asian Indian trans woman of color who is an entrepreneur, public speaker, activist, motivator, musician, artist, photographer, and filmmaker. She grew up as a lonely, closeted kid from Southern India, dealing with stigma, discrimination, and gender dysphoria. And she writes and speaks passionately about her struggles and the challenges that she has faced in her family, work, school, and community, both in the U.S. and in India. Welcome to the show, Celia. Thank you, Janine. That's a lot of introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I felt like it was really important 
that people both get a sense that Mm. you are this highly talented, very accomplished woman who also happens to be Asian Indian and trans. Mm -hmm. And so, and you've created an enormous amount of allyship and leadership, and you've taken a lot of heat for it, and you've had some setbacks around it. And so I want to to paint a full picture of both your accomplishments and who you are to set the stage for Mm -hmm. our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for that introduction. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start the way that I often start, which is what is something that you have become aware of that people are not paying attention to? And what's the cost of that inattention? I think a lot of times companies talk about diversity and inclusion right? and belonging, of course, equity, equality. And many times these are podium conversations and they have diversity summits happening, large conferences across the globe, mm-hmm. sustainability, they talk about every wonderful thing. But what they miss out is the basic civil rights issue that the people, the one movie that was I can relate to was The Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. Hidden Figures, when I saw that movie, and as a trans person, to me, that hit me so hard Mm -hmm. that for them to go to the bathroom, they had to run to another block and then come Through the rain or whatever else was happening, right? For me, it was exactly the same experience. As a trans person, we are all talking about things that are so important. And of course, it's very important. But diversity and inclusion conversations really need to start from the bathroom all the way up to the boatroom. And we need to have this kind of education and representation of trans folks. And my focus is more as in the trans community is about how do you provide or how do you educate the allies and the companies to understand the basic needs of a human being working in your office and having these discussions about, you know, gender neutral bathrooms or inclusive conversations. Now that I have not seen. It's always about, hey, we we love LGBTQ community. And it's just like, it's just an envelope, you know, just putting you all into that and saying, you're all a part of the community. Let's talk about same-sex marriage. Of course, we will talk about same-sex marriage, but I just want to pee right now. (laughs) Where can I go? Right. And they're like, oh. Where can I go that's safe? Yeah. Where do I go that's safe? Well, And then we're like, oh, I don't know. You can use a women's bathroom if you want because you're dressed like a woman today. Right. Now, that is not inclusion. That is called tolerance. And I would love to see those difficult conversations happening in companies where you are moving the needle from where you are today and accepting that inclusivity includes all kinds of people. I mean, I'm not just dealing with trans issues, right? I'm an immigrant. I'm an Asian. I'm a parent. I have neurodiverse challenges. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things in my life that I don't see being talked about. It's that Celia is trans and that's about it. Hello. (laughs) I I am a complete human. Yeah, I would love to hear those conversations where we bring in more difficult ideas and decisions because 
I have seen that when I joined a company recently, they I went through the interview process, and I believe in fair and equality, even in the interview process. I want them to select me based on my intelligence, based on my knowledge, based on my professional experience and my background. And it happened. They loved everything. You know, they loved everything that I brought to the table as a trans person. And I loved the process was very, very good. I was basically consulting for a company and they were trying to bring me on board. So I really liked this company and I was trying to work for them. They interviewed me. They loved what I was bringing to the table. And during the onboarding, they said, you had a security issue. And I asked them, what kind of security issue? And they said, it's, we don't know how to onboard you. Well, I, you're a company that is corporate equality index of 100%. Right. You have all pride flags flying all over, you know, during the <laughs> month. Uh-huh. And you have a good ERG for uh, LGBTQ and you have a good transgender policies and everything, but why couldn't you onboard me? Because you're not able to onboard you. The problem I found later was they didn't know how to onboard me because they didn't have the policies in place to onboard a person after they transitioned from the previous gender. It was Um, very easy for them. And I told them as simple as a person being single and the person getting married and they're changing the name. Right. But here, the issue was a little more complicated because I came in as a gender X and they didn't know where to place me. And they tried to fit in somewhere. And, you know, they said, oh, Celia, we figure that out. Okay, that's fine. What about the next issue is, okay, we don't know how to open up your records with your previous company, you know, when you had worked in the past uh-huh. as Daniel and how are we going to manage this and the trainings and all the security protocols we follow. And I said, I want to start afresh. Just put me in there. And I also told them, go and figure it out. Because <laughs> right. sometimes um, companies love hiring trans people, putting them as basically calling you as a tokenism, Yeah, where they just love hiring trans people, but they don't know how to retain trans people. Uh-huh. You love hiring trans folks. You love to do trainings and panels and discussions and all the wonderful stuff. To be able to highlight that you've hired this person, right? That's that's what you're talking about? Yeah. Exactly. And then they don't know how to really, really do the process changes, the organizational changes in terms of the people, processes, the technology that actually accepts gender non-binary. They've never thought about all that. Right. And I sat and explained because I have worked in different IT companies and I've done strategy for IT and also business. I said, let's look at your people, process, and technology and start changing it. Mm -hmm. I gave them a whole idea. I showed them all the ways in which they can do it. But I said, I'm not going to do it. You need to do it. That's not my job. That's not (laughs) my job because I've been advocating for myself for the past 10 years. Right. And I don't want to do it. And I cannot be educating you again when you think you have been advancing in your diversity spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I even recommended that, you know, we can change the policies and I can help you with that. But what I've seen, Janine, is most of the times companies love talking about things are that are at the surface level. Yeah. As long as you don't bring in pay challenges, don't talk about titles, don't talk about psychological safety, don't talk about promotions, <laughs> don't talk about this, but we love diversity. <laughs> and I, okay. A diversity without an E in your diversity 
a strategy itself is, it doesn't right. make any sense to me. Right. And unless, you know, unless we're talking about equity and unless we're talking about belonging, which is also what you're pointing to, like, mm-hmm. unless all people are welcomed and feel like they belong with the organization, mm-hmm. they're not going to, yes, they may be a great pony that you can show around. Look at this, look at this pretty pony that we hired, mm-hmm. but that's not the point, <laughs> you know, like, you don't want, I don't want to be a pretty pony. You don't want to be a pretty pony. Exactly. And what we want to be building is organizations in which people know that they are in fact welcome and that they are included, and that they belong, because it's good for the organization. I mean, it's great for the individual. We -hmm. feel great when we belong. Human beings are, by our neurobiology, we are herd animals. We want to be together. Mm -hmm. And so when we feel like we belong someplace, we then become loyal to that organization. We're going to stick around. We're going to do great work. And here we are at the height, probably, of the great resignation, and organizations are still missing the point. Like, we can't just talk about diversity as though it's one thing, as though all we need to do is tell HR, well, we need to get some people who are brown or black or Asian or neurodiverse or gender fluid or whatever the things are, if we haven't actually done the work before to Mm -hmm. think about, well, what is it going to be like for that person when they come to this organization? Mm. Absolutely. I think inclusion should not cause an exclusion. Yeah. You know, that's something that I've seen is (laughs) absolutely actually causing exclusion. And to me, I value companies. Let's put it that way. I mean, I sometimes bring up all these points because we need to have honest conversations. That's one thing. And even if I'm working for certain companies and my clients, I always tell them with grace and I tell them that, hey, here's a problem. Here's how we can fix it. Yeah. I don't just point that this is your problem and you do not know anything. You know, I can keep on (laughs) telling about it. Right. But I always give them a solution as to how to fix the problem. And that's what I've learned in my 20 plus years of working with my clients as a consultant. You don't go to them and tell them you have a problem, but you need to know how to fix it. So I think that's what I've seen as during my, I think we may probably be even talking about it as to how do you feel everyone included in diversity and inclusion, right? Right. It's not just the minorities, not just in folks with neurodiversity or women or LGBTQ, but even folks who are supportive to this initiative, men, white men, everyone, right? right. How do you bring that kind of equality with a good representation or a good support for diversity initiatives? I think I I would love to talk uh, about that also, because that is important in companies that they need to think about it. Absolutely. And a couple months ago, I had the great honor of being one of the keynote speakers for the U.S. Navy's first summit on diversity. Mm -hmm. And I was in this building and all of the restrooms were non-gendered restrooms. And so there were all stalls. So you went into the restroom and then you went into your little stall and did your business and then came out and washed your hands. <laughs> and so in I was in my stall and then next to me was a guy and then next to him was another guy and then there was a woman. And so we're all 
in the bathroom together. And when I first walked in, I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> what's happening here? And then, you know, so we can allow ourselves to be in situations where we have that, like, wait a minute, <laughs> thought, mm -hmm. where we feel a little bit uncomfortable for mm -hmm. a minute, and then we can get over it. Mm -hmm. And so then I came out of the restroom and was washing my hands and then had a chat with the guy who was doing his business in the stall next to me. Mm -hmm. And it was this really, you know, here we are at this three-day conference for the U.S. Navy, an organization mm -hmm. that I do not think of necessarily as really having it all together around diversity. And they had non-gender assigned restrooms where just everybody went. And I thought it was teeny little symbol of mm -hmm. something beginning to shift. And I love it that you talk about from the bathroom to the boardroom. And because I think that those little things mm -hmm. actually, you know, like on the one hand, yes, it's little. On the other hand, it's not. It's important. And it is both insignificant and a really important symbol of beginning to think differently about how we can create spaces in which everybody belongs. I mean, who cares? As long as I'm in my little stall, I don't right. care if there's a guy in his little stall next to me. You know, and the other thing that I love about it, it's also sort of taking away it's not stigma, but like, I love, there's a commercial on TV right now, and I don't remember what product it is, which may mean it's not that effective a commercial for the product, but the tagline is we all go. So why not enjoy the go? And mm -hmm. it's for toilet tissue. And part of what I love about it is that it's like, it's taking the, we shouldn't talk about going to the bathroom right, yeah. away. It's taking that like, Ooh, that's something that we don't talk about. Like, we all go, you know, like it is a human biological function. Exactly. And if we haven't thought about how we're going to include people in those simple human biological functions mm. as actually an easy place to start. I mean, y'all, if the U.S. Navy can do it, anybody can do it. Uh, yeah. Any Tom, Dick and Harry can do it. Why right? are you doing it? <laughs> right. So where are the other important places that if an organization or if a CEO is listening and mm -hmm. thinking, okay, so I do care about this. I do want to start thinking about how are the ways that we can ensure that everyone, everyone, men, women, transgender people, gay, straight, all the different races and ethnicities that we are, white people, black people, brown people, yellow people, purple people, all the people, how can we all feel that we belong? Where are the places that people can start looking? I think it's important for you to think about the intersectionals of intersectional identity of a human being mm. or your employee. Because to me, I have a friend who is white and lost his wife to cancer. He's having a hard time getting coming to the office and managing things here at work, keeping the sanity, and trying to pretend like nothing is wrong with him. But they are going through a lot emotionally. Right. And when companies just talk about minorities and, you know, when you're having so many other issues, 
that you're talking about, you are probably excluding some of those conversations. So to me, I would look at diversity mostly in terms of ethnicities, not just checking boxes, black, brown, or you know, Latinx or any other community, but rather looking at the whole intersectional way of addressing the issues in a human being. Mm-hmm. The first question I would ask is, tell me what would help you to help you to be thriving at workplace, to be creative, innovative, and you feel like you want to wake up and come to the office in the morning. And what would it take for you to do that? And this person would say that uh, I have this issue. Mm-hmm. And for me, as a trans person, I love coming to the office and my barrier is not about the bathrooms and the other issues. I mean, those are discussions that are important. My barrier could be is, you know, I have other issues when I come to the office place that I get misgendered. So I want to make sure that, you know, I don't feel misgendered. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on a phone call and when they talk to me, they're like, am I talking to Celia? Yeah, I'm Celia. Oh, but you sound like a man. Oh, yeah, I'm silly. I'm transgender. Because I don't want to keep reminding people that I'm transgender. And in fact, a recruiter actually did that to me. But besides that, the point is when you bring your whole self to the work, you are bringing a lot of things that can actually change the way in which the framework of the company can be better. Mm-hmm. That you bring in the emotional point of being open to your manager and saying that I don't feel good today. I want to take off from work. or I feel excited today, you know, something happened and I'm very happy about it. Sharing your failure, sharing your emotions in a workplace and feeling psychologically safe is what everyone talks about. So psychological safety is across the board for everybody. I think that is paramount in terms of addressing your mental and physical health. When you address that, the rest of the other issues probably will fall in place. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example why I mentioned the bathroom before. A lot of times people talk about trans folks, you know, using pronouns and they get all flustered about, oh, these pronouns are really hard. You know, I don't know why they want to be called they, them. But the issue they don't understand is the trauma that they wake up every morning and the parents supposedly are living in a home where the parents to keep telling them that, oh, I don't know how my child is going to survive today in school because they came out as trans and they're getting bullied at school. And then they go to college, they have issues in the dorm. They go to a workplace, that's what we're talking about. They don't get recognized, they don't get promoted. They feel like these people are a a stumbling block to the good performers. And then you go to the community, you're not welcome in the church because you're a sinner. And that's how they look at it. Now you then go to the other issues, like you get pulled out from the police station as from the police. And right. when they look at my license and they say, you very different, but your <laughs> license, you're not transition. So I'm going to probably take you for further questioning. It hasn't happened to me, but I've been pulled over many times. And I've started educating the police department, LAPD and Hollywood PD mm-hmm. for that reason. So when you take the whole ecosystem of the issues that trans people go through, it's, it's pretty intense healthcare issues school board issues, and all this kind of makes them feel ostracized in every segment, every ecosystem that they are living in. And it is systemically challenged that way. And all they're asking is, hey, I don't feel like I belong to the binary world. I feel like I'm in the spectrum and I want to be called as they in a space where I feel more comfortable. And someone says, I'm Celia and I go by they pronouns. I feel comfortable and I feel psychologically safe. 
that you're able to acknowledge that. Now, when you don't do that, what happens is even if the companies say that I'm not going to call you by this one, I'm just going to call you by whatever I think I want to call you. And then what you feel is you're going through trauma every day when you're waking up. I'll give you a simple example. My middle name is Sandhya. It's a Sanskrit name and it's spelled as Sandhya. When I was talking to some folks and I said, my name is Celia Sandhya Daniels, they said, what is Sandhya? I said, Sandhya is a Sanskrit name for dusk. Hmm. And it's beautiful. It's evening time. It's mm-hmm. dusk. That's that Sandhya. And they were like, oh, I can't spell that. Can I call you Sandy? I said, no. <laughs> and that shows that you're not respecting who I am, my ethnicity, my culture, my value. And you are just throwing something on me. Who the heck is Sandy? <laughs> like, what does Sandy even mean to me? Right. Right. And I am holding on. To- so that is the kind of conversations we need to bring into the workplace saying that, hey, respect the person the way they want to be respected. Unfortunately, 48% of the Americans do not want to use pronouns, do not want to have a gender neutral language in the workplace because they feel like that's too much on them. They feel like these people have chosen a lifestyle and why am I adhering to it? It's not my problem. You want to be called they, them? You can go and ask someone to do it. I'm not going to call you. That's the attitude they have. Uh-huh. And so the only reason I kind of ask them to, you know, just respect us for the simple little thing that we're asking, because we've gone through a root cause issues of all that is causing us to really, really have these traumas every day, every breaking day. And, and they don't understand, you know, I could be sitting in a happy hour with my colleagues in Texas, and the restaurant owner can come to me and say, hello, can you please leave? We don't serve for people like you. No. It can happen. And that's the kind of situation uh, we are facing today. Yeah. And is they them such a difficult thing to use? Right. To respect a person, to value a person? Right. And that's why I speak up. And I speak up and I tell them that the most simplest thing on earth is that. And I had a friend who was on a call and she, her name was Xing Xing. And everyone was like, Xing Xing. And I called her and I said, Hey, Xing Xing, I know your name is Xing Xing, but I want to know the right way to call you. Right. What is the right way in Chinese or mm-hmm. in, in China? How do they call you? And she's Shang Shang, or she said something, which yeah. is probably, you know, she gave me the right way to pronounce that. And I wrote it down in my iPhone and also in my meeting notes. Uh-huh. So that whenever I address her name, I was using the Shang Shang or Xing Xing. I was using the right way, not Xing Xing, but uh, right. Xing Xing. You know, this way. So I, for me, even the little things mattered. And I started, yeah. you know, I could see that they were smiling. Yeah. And she said, no, you don't have to take so much of effort to learn my name. It's okay. And I said, no, I do. And, yeah. you know, that's not inclusion. Inclusion is not trying to change your name to get included somewhere. Right. Inclusion is bringing your authentic self so that people will call you the way it should be done. Right. And yeah. I mean, my husband happens to be a black man Mm. and his name is Jonathan. And it's very important that Mm. people address him as Jonathan, not Mm. John, not Johnny, not Jack, Mm. Jonathan. And so our names are important to us. And Jonathan is a very sort of American name. Mm. And when we have people who have names that are connected to other cultures, you know, I think what you did in really figuring out 
what's the right way to say her name to have her feel like she truly belongs, that you are acknowledging who she is with the right pronunciation of her name. I think that that is both beautiful and it should be, I try and get the word should out of my vocabulary. You know, nobody wants to be should on, but it should be easy. It should be an easy thing. It is, in fact, an easy thing for us to do, to just acknowledge. So your name is unique to me. I've never heard your name before. I want to make sure that I pronounce it correctly. Mm-hmm. And you pre- can you please help me understand how to pronounce it correctly? so that I get it right and I honor who you are. And I think that's the same. I am hopeful that that will be some years down the road, unfortunately, but that 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 pronouns will be the same thing. And I remember I have a good friend whose daughter, I think is a lesbian. I don't think she's transgender. I haven't seen her in quite a while, so not Mm -hmm. 100% sure. But I know that she goes by the pronouns they, them. Mm -hmm. And so I was having a conversation with her mom, my friend Annie, about her daughter, who has also changed her name. And I had to be thinking consciously about pronouns. But I said to a friend of mine, who is a white woman who is doing some work with organizations around diversity, as am I. And she was saying, you know, people always say to me like, well, but that's uncomfortable or it's hard or it's whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it is a little, it may be a little uncomfortable. It may be a little hard. It may take a little bit of getting used to. So what? And, Mm -hmm. and the other thing that I was saying is, you know, I sometimes say to my clients, those who are ready to hear it. And I think it's an important thing to say, you know, for those of us in white presenting bodies who have had the privilege of going through life in the United States in a white body, Mm -hmm. it's our turn to be a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Lots of people have felt uncomfortable in their black body, in their brown body, in their non-binary body, in their neurodiverse body, in their disabled body. It's our turn to feel a little uncomfortable. And as we're looking to create that world in which everyone belongs, people who look like me, and people who look like you, and everyone, then some of us who have not yet had the opportunity to be uncomfortable, Mm. it's our turn. I think you brought a great point, because when you are faced with challenges, when you're faced with uncomfortable situations, you always learn from those situations. Right. You don't walk away from it, but you learn something, and nothing comes out of a comfortable conversation. You can always just casually talk because everyone around you is watchful. You know, you're walking on thin ice. Oh, let's just be careful. You don't want to touch anything. Diversity, when I think about it, and inclusion is more like, a, especially I quote this, you know, come to the party, come to the party. All of you all come, but don't sit in that couch. You know, <laughs> you have a bathroom outside. Oh, Celia, you're trans. Okay. There is a bathroom outside for you. Yeah. Then bring soda. Don't do this. Don't keep it on the table. You know, there's a poster there. <laughs> there are things that you can do when you invite people. To me, it kind of feels like, you know, you're inviting the trans folks or anybody with ethnic minority, uh, you're hiring them. And then you're saying that, hey, you know what? Only have a few life jackets here. You know, if there is a, something that happens, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. 
And that is what I always care about because I ask the companies when you're in the panel discussions and I do all these panel discussions and keynote speaking. And I ask them, okay, do you have any policies for trans folks? And they say, oh, no, we don't. Okay, I'm going to speak in your company, but I can also take a look at your policy and help you. So that when I when you call me next year, if you call me next year, or if you call any trans person to be talking in this panel next year, we can see some progress. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to have a very tangible action items when we talk about diversity. You know, let's have some metrics. Right. Let's measure where we are and see how we can move the needle. And a lot of companies are even uncomfortable with that. They're like, we love diversity conversations. We have hired this person. We have hired this director. What are you folks doing? Oh, we are still teaching people. We are still learning. We are listening. Right. I'm like, you are in the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you got to be out there. Times are changing. 27% of the youth in California identify as gender non-binary. How many? 27% people? in California? Yeah. In California. Wow. And this was from the Williams Institute from UCLA in 2019. Uh-huh. Now think about it. It's 2022. Right. Uh, the numbers have probably gone up. Right. And uh, 75% of the workforce in 2025 are going to be millennials and Gen Zs. Yeah. They care about the value of the company. They don't care about titles. They don't care about, you know, moving up in the company. They care about working for a company that is really valued yep. and they are respected and they feel like they belong to this company. And that's why it's so important to take a look at our future generation when you plan your diversity programs and you're planning your inclusion programs, always think about the future. And that's the way you can sustain these programs for a while and make it long-term and stretch it out. Mm -hmm. And recently I've been working with some companies where I tell them that do you have, you're so established in US, have you thought about your subsidiaries across the world? Right. And they said, yeah, we have, and they do their own thing. Now, it should not be they do their own thing. You know, you need to talk to those employees working in Dubai or Gulf or any other place in the Middle East, in India, in any other country, Europe or in Africa. Mm-hmm. And what kind of diversity programs do they have? Do a cross exchange, learn from it, understand the nuances of that, because they have a different kind of issue. It could be a tribal indigenous issue also right. in certain places, right? which you can learn from. I think that's how... These initiatives are lifelong and it need not put down anyone to be implemented, but it should be elevated to make everyone feel included. And that's the way we can implement this for long term. I love it. Our opportunity is to stop seeing power and belonging a zero sum game. If you have more power, if you have more belonging, then I have less. No. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We just grow the pie bigger. So that we all belong, so that we all have a voice, so that we all have equity. And then we are all invested in the work of the organization. I was doing a presentation to a group of CEOs the other day, and I was talking about what is the biggest reason that people in the great resignation are quitting their jobs, not retiring, not getting fired, but quitting. Mm -hmm. The biggest single reason is organizations not paying enough attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And then the CEO said, well, okay, but how old were the people who were being interviewed? Were these all millennials? And I said what you just said. The reality is in two and a half years, 75% of the workforce are going to be millennials. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't care whether you are in line with what they think. They are the majority. And the Gen Zs who are coming after them even more care about issues around diversity and equity and inclusion. And so Mm -hmm. this is a business imperative. This is no longer a, it would be nice to, or it's nice to be able to say we have a transgender person and we get to show that person off. No, this is if you want your organization to continue to exist and be profitable, you got to get a handle on this. Absolutely. All right. So this has been another wonderful conversation with you, Celia. I am so honored to have had you here with us to share your wisdom and your enormous experience and your challenging us to be on the growth edge and to not settle for conversations that are easy where we don't grow, to be willing to have the hard conversations when we do grow and when great things can happen for ourselves and our organizations. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Shreya. Yeah, I would like to end with one thought for the audience, which would be easy for them to remember. It's called allies. Be an amazing ally. So A is acknowledge your privilege, is to listen to the community. Another L is to learn to unlearn. Mm. I used to initiate tough conversations and uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. E is to educate yourself and educate others. And S is to be supportive by being involved. So if you're looking for a way to be a powerful ally for any community, Mm -hmm. this is something that you need to remember, that allies. So just wanted to leave this thought. Oh, that's a, Mm. a beautiful last thought. And if you didn't catch all of that, it will be in the show notes and in the blog, which is essentially a transcript of the conversation that we're having today. And that blog will be on my website, janinehamner.com. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Education.